This is Views Over the City, produced and presented by Ian Davidson. Hello, this is Ian Davidson, and in this special edition of Views Over the City, I'll be looking at the proposals by the Department of Business, Innovation and Skills on executive pay. These include giving shareholders binding votes on pay policy for companies and increasing the level of shareholders required to support future enumeration policy. Also, it gives shareholders an advisory vote on the previous year's implementation of pay policy. We'll be asking the question, what has happened in the US, which has one of the most rigorous executive pay disclosure regimes in the world, and yet it has the highest executive pay and arguably the largest level of inequality? We'll also be looking at the role of shareholder advisory groups such as Glass-Lewis and ISS in the US. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, we'll be looking at the unintended consequences of new approaches to disclosure on executive pay. So what is it that the government are trying to address by this consultation? They claim that there are failings in corporate governance framework for executive remuneration, but it's a bit unclear exactly what it is they are trying to address. Vince Cable, the responsible minister, talks about problems of reward for failure. British executive pay shot up by nearly 50% last year, despite sluggish economic growth and only moderate expansion by leading companies. Of course, some cynics would suggest that the government is having no effect on improving the real economy that affects real people, so are trying to distract voters by attacking business, and in particular senior executive pay. It is certainly not a very Tory approach. The Conservatives have always supported entrepreneurial activity and the right of individuals to aspire and achieve financial success. Comments by Vince Cable says that he wants executive pay to be fair and reasonable, without at all defining what those two words mean. In the US, there are high levels of executive pay disclosure, and we have to ask what have been the results. Well, the US has arguably the highest level of executive pay in the world, and also the greatest level of inequality between employees in the same company. So it's not exactly been successful there. What it has led to is the growth of shareholder advocacy groups, such as Glass-Lewis and the ISS. A recent survey in the US showed that over 70% of listed companies in the US took note of ISS recommendations when designing their pay policy. With the odd exceptions such as Disney, the US corporate world falls over itself to ensure that they meet advocacy group guidelines or risk recommendations of a no vote on the mandatory shareholders say on pay at IGMs, with all the embarrassment that, that includes. Should the government's current proposals become law, it is highly likely that we will follow the same route as corporate USA. And that route is full of unintended consequences and potholes. <laughs> This is Views Over the City with Ian Davidson. So before looking at the unintended consequences of, say, in, on pay in the US, what is it that the shareholder advocacy groups are looking for? Well, first of all, it's a disconnect between pay and performance, with performance generally defined as relative and absolute total shareholder return over varying time periods, or perhaps financial performance such as revenue and earnings growth over multi-year timeframes. Secondly, there is poor pay practice, for example special awards when performance is poor, 
or targeting executive pay at the 75th percentile. There is also issues around the poor choice of performance measures, tax gross-ups, lack of clawback and excessive termination awards. Third in the list of no-nos from shareholder advocacy groups is poor disclosure and this is usually centred around a lack of transparency in corporate reports. And finally, and the same issue that Vince Cable has got, what's termed inappropriate high levels of compensation, as indicated by high numbers which for the shareholder advocacy groups just don't look right, although we've never yet found out how they reached that decision. So what are the unintended consequences resulting from the say on pay and the actions of advocacy groups such as ISS, ABI or PERC? First of all, we get into a tick box mentality on disclosure, which means we go through the list of requirements by the advocacy groups and make sure that our particular pay policy meets those standards. This effectively means that compensation committees are being frightened into designing their pay plans to fit the guidelines rather than being fit for purpose for the organisation or the organisation's culture for fear of a shareholder advocacy group recommending a no vote on their say on pay vote or similar. These approaches in turn lead to greater similarity between organisational compensation approaches and levels of pay. This is not something we really want to see. It distorts the labour market and leads to a breakdown in competition. The other unintended consequence that nobody seems to have thought very much about is the impact on senior executives. They're seeing their pay becoming much more contingent on factors outside their control, for example with share price movements for absolute and relative TSR measures. And we have to ask what behaviour will this generate? Secondly, for executives coming up through the pipeline, they're going to start to question why they would want to become a senior executive when there are all these constraints on pay and increasing levels of uncertainty about bonus and share payouts during the course of their employment. Why would someone voluntarily enter this arena? Let's look at this situation from the viewpoint of the shareholders. Do they really want to be micromanaging company pay policy? Do they really want to be second-guessing the remuneration committee, which, after all, both represents shareholders, contains non-executive directors, and should, I suppose, contain experts on pay policy? I think the answer is probably not. Secondly, how do shareholders work out the time horizons for rewards for senior executives? Surely those time horizons for investors vary depending on whether they're short, medium or long-term investors. So how do you reflect that in pay policy? And finally, and we've seen this before, shareholders using a no vote on the remuneration policy to punish company directors on issues completely unrelated to reward. And one could argue that this opens the field for all these political pressure groups who buy one or two shares and then turn up at shareholder meetings to make some obtruse political point. What is really most puzzling about the government's consultation is that shareholders have a perfect weapon for dealing with issues within companies. They sell their shares. The share price goes down and the company suffers. That's been the way of the stock market for as long as there has been a stock market. So why are additional tools required? Is the government suggesting that shareholders aren't clever enough to make decisions about whether a company is successful or not? And if a company is successful, 
do institutional shareholders really care what people are paid? I think not. So, in conclusion, what have we got here? Well, we've got some new regulations adding to the burden and costs of both companies and as institutional shareholders. It's very unlikely to actually reduce executive pay, as we have seen in the US. We're likely to see a rise in shareholder advocacy groups, as per the US, which remove compensation committee flexibility, increase the sameness of compensation policy across companies, and do not reflect the realities of what happens in organisations. We're going to see increased volatility and uncertainty in senior executive pay. This will distort further the labour market for senior executives and make managers think very carefully about the advantages of becoming a senior executive with all this volatility and uncertainty around their pay. And this in itself is likely to lead to an increase in the fixed elements of pay as has happened in investment banking. So we have a poor solution to a minor, if not a non-existent problem, satisfying only as a political diversion at a time of economic uncertainty for which the existing tools are more than adequate. The school report on this particular subject must read, could do better, score F. That was Views Over the City, produced and presented by Ian Davidson. 